The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Our scripture this morning comes from Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, who are zealous for good works. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray together. God, we thank you so much for your presence here, for your sweet spirit. We thank you that you love us more than we can fathom, that you are always faithful. God, we thank you for your word for this church, for Pastor Chris. God, we pray that your spirit would fill him afresh and guide him as he preaches. And we pray that your spirit would would touch each one of us and interpret exactly what you have to say to us today. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Good to be in the house of the Lord with you today. Are you excited to be in church? Excited for some warmer weather? Some sunshine? Anybody sick of rain besides me? Amen. We're going to continue talking about the the church today. And uh, thinking back to when I was a child, my, my grandparents lived about 45 minutes away in Georgetown, which lent me the opportunity many different uh, days uh, to, to go visit them, and I would spend actually several days at a time uh, just uh, being with them. One of my favorite things to do, especially during the summer. And during the work week, uh, I would spend the days with my grandmother. We would often walk downtown there in Georgetown, and uh, we would uh, do crafts. Don't laugh at me, but we would do that, and I enjoyed them. And we would uh, have a good lunch together. And I loved being with my grandmother. We would play games, and she would uh, do well at entertaining me. But listen, my heart was set on 5 o'clock. Because at 5 o'clock, I knew Papa was coming home. And I remember about 4 in the afternoon, my grandmother would shift away from entertaining me, and she would make her way into the kitchen and start preparing dinner. And then I would start making preparation for my grandfather to arrive home. They lived in an older uh, 19th century home. Beautiful high ceilings, three stories, awesome attic. All kinds of nooks and crannies and places to hide. So I would pick out my hiding spot. Because grandparents, you know there's nothing you'd rather do than chase your grandkids around the house after working all day. Come on, somebody. So I would find my hiding spaces and, and, and then I would, I would get the football ready for a little passing in the yard. We had a bumper pool table in this big, we called it the blue room upstairs. And I would set it up and be ready. And then about 4.45 after preparation had been made, I remember I'd run into the foyer. A big glass window on the door and I would, I would press my face up against the glass and I would wait 
to get a glimpse of that gray Ford pickup truck because I knew when I saw it drive by the front of the house it would just be moments. And then my grandfather would make his way around the back, down the long driveway, and then into the house, often with a candy bar. Come on, somebody. And my night was then sure to be filled with ineffable joy. I remember waiting. I remember waiting with great anticipation. As we continue today in this series about the church, in the passage that Jessica read for us today, we see that we as a church are supposed to be doing some waiting as well. We should be waiting, church, with joyful anticipation because, friends, Jesus is coming back. And you know, I'm not here today to argue pre-trib, mid-trib, or post-trib. How many know we get hung up on those things sometimes and we miss the forest for the trees? What I do know for sure is this. Though the Lord tarries, He's coming again. And in light of Jesus' imminent return, we ought to be waiting. What do you think of, though, when you think of waiting? For some of you, maybe you... That, that The word waiting conjures up memories of sitting in a, a doctor's office reading old magazines. Or maybe it's sitting in an airport waiting for your delayed plane. Or maybe it's like uh, waiting on a package from Amazon Prime. So many of us think though of waiting as sitting around, kind of sitting on our hands or twiddling our thumbs, frequently checking the clock, just waiting for something to happen. But that is not the kind of waiting that the Bible calls us to do. So here's the main point. On the back of your bulletin, you'll find a spot to take notes. I want you to write this down. In light of Jesus' imminent return, the church must wait with action. In other words, the waiting that verse 13 calls us to, here in Titus chapter 2, is not a sitting on our hands looking up to the sky. No, it is a hopeful anticipation and a motivation to get busy because He is coming again. And so I want to give you from this passage quickly three ways in which we can wait with action. Number one, as we're waiting on Jesus' imminent return, we must wait with expressions of gratitude. We must wait with expressions of gratitude. Look at verse 11 and then at 14 with me again. Paul writes, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now this doesn't mean that all people in the world are automatically saved. It means for all, if you read the context, the rest of Scripture, it's for all those who know Christ, those who trust in Christ. But all people groups are able to come in by grace through faith in Jesus. And that happens only, as it says, by the grace of God. And then look at verse 14. Talking about Jesus, it says, Who gave Himself for us. Who gave Himself for us. To redeem us from all lawlessness. And to purify for Himself a people for His own possession. Who are zealous for good works. Here's what I want you to see. As we wait for the Lord, we should constantly remember the grace of Almighty God. Which has not just been declared. A lot of people declare love, but God didn't just declare it. He has also demonstrated it. 
And He has demonstrated His grace and His love in many ways, numerous ways, in immeasurable ways. But the apex of God's grace is seen where? In the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And friends, it's because of this that we have redemption. And here's what that means. This is why, uh, this is how it's connected to Jesus' return. For all of us who are in Christ, we don't have to tremble in fear because Jesus is coming back. If it were not for this sacrifice, if it were not for Jesus giving Himself for us, we would be a fearful people. We should be a fearful people because that means that we would still be under the wrath of God. But thank God for His grace. And as we feel those feelings of gratitude, we ought to learn to express them. Amen? I love this story. Paul Harvey tells of how uh, gratitude prompted an older gentleman to visit an old broken pier in Florida. Every Friday night, he says, until his death in 1973, he would return walking slowly and slightly stooped with a large bucket of shrimp. The seagulls would flock to this old man and he would feed them from his bucket. Here's the backstory. Many years before, in October of 1942, Captain Eddie Eddie Rickenbacker was on a mission in a B-17 to deliver an important message to General Douglas MacArthur in New Guinea. But there was an unexpected detour which would hurl Captain Eddie into the most harrowing adventure of his life. Somewhere, see, over the South Pacific, the flying fortress became lost beyond the reach of the radio. Fuel, as you can imagine, became dangerously low, so the men ditched their plane in the ocean, and for nearly a month, Captain Eddie and his companions would fight the water, the weather, the scorching sun, and they spent many sleepless nights recoiling as giant sharks ran their rafts, some of them up to 10 feet long. And by the way, it was a 9-foot raft. But of all their enemies at sea, one proved to be most formidable. Starvation. Eight days out, their food was long gone or destroyed by the salt water. And it would take a miracle to sustain them. And a miracle is exactly what happened. In Captain Eddie's own words, he says this, Cherry, that was the B-17 pilot, Captain William Cherry, he said this, read the service that afternoon and we finished with a prayer for deliverance and a hymn of praise. There was some talk, but it tapered off in the oppressive heat. With my hat pulled down over my eyes to keep out some of the glare, I dozed off. Now this is still Captain Rickenbacker talking. Something landed on my head, he said. I knew that it was a seagull. I don't know how I knew. I just knew. And everyone else knew as well. No one said a word, but peering out from under my hat brim without moving my head, I could see the expression on their faces. They were staring at the seagull. The goal meant food, if I could catch it. And the rest, as they say, is history. Captain Eddie caught the gull, its flesh was eaten, its intestines were used for bait to catch fish. The survivors were sustained and their hopes renewed because of a lone seagull who 
uncharacteristically hundreds of miles from the land, offered itself as a sacrifice. And you know now that Captain Eddie made it. And also that he never forgot. Because every Friday morning about sunset, on a lonely stretch along the eastern Florida seacoast, you could see an old man walking, white-haired, bushy eyebrow, slightly bent, his bucket filled with shrimp to feed the seagulls. To remember that one which on a day long ago gave itself without a struggle. Friends, as the church waits for Jesus' imminent return, we too should never, ever forget the sacrifice that He has given us, bringing us into the family of God. Isn't it easy to forget? We go about our lives and we, I, I, we've heard for so often, well, Jesus died for your sins. And this wonderful, wonderful truth has become almost just a cute story that just is stored away somewhere, but often thanked for, often lost in every the hustle and bustle of life. Feelings of gratitude about His sacrifice should move us to actions of gratitude. Friends, we ought to thank Him regularly. We should sing about His sacrifice. We should relish in the finished work of Jesus. We should be moved to praise from the rising of the sun to its going down. How many know He is worthy and He ought to be thanked? Hallelujah. And one of the ways to intentionally remember Jesus Christ's death on the cross, you know what that is in the Bible? It's communion. And we're going to partake in that in just a few moments at the end of service. Here's what I want you to see. In light of Jesus' return, we are to wait with expressions of gratitude. Number two, we're to wait with evidence of godliness. We're to wait with evidence of godliness. Look at verse 11 just for context. and I want you to focus here on verse 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Now watch this. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Now you don't hear this preached a lot today. Now let me say this as a preface. We, we talk about this often, but I can't stress it enough. We are not saved... By good works. Moralism in our country is mistaken for Christianity. There's people who have decent morals who are not going to heaven because they don't know Jesus. Alright? So we're not saved by our works or by our own righteousness. However, someone who is a real follower of Jesus will live in a way that's pleasing to the Lord. There will be a certain holiness about them. When you are saved, unquestionably, there is a noticeable difference. You might say, well, Pastor, really nothing changed in me. And I would ask you to really evaluate your own heart and say, are you really a Christian? Have you really been born again? Do you really know Jesus Christ? If you don't know Him, you need to make that decision today. But the Bible here calls us to renounce ungodliness. There's some things we need to give up and then embrace godliness. There's some things we need to put on. If you want to read later, you can read Ephesians chapter 4. As, uh, Paul is writing the church of Ephesus. This is exactly what he's saying to them. They're mixing 
with the other uh, people, Gentiles who were there in Ephesus, and it's a very uh, a place that has very loose living, and there's not a big difference it seems between the church and the worldly people. And Paul is saying, listen, there has to be a difference. This is not how you learn Christ. You've got to put off the old and put on the new. And then he gets real practical and lists out some specifics. I want you to look at with me at Second uh, Peter chapter three, if you would, and verse ten. Second Peter verse three, verse ten says this: "But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar." And the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent... Did you catch that? Be diligent to be found in Jesus and Him without spot or blemish and at peace. My brother and I were admittingly very mischievous growing up. Anybody else get into a little bit of trouble growing up? And uh, we thought we could fool my mother. So we would be back in the bedroom playing and, and doing whatever, getting into trouble, roughhousing, doing the things that boys often do. And we had this kind of supersonic hearing when we were getting, when we were doing something we shouldn't be doing. We could hear my mother coming from a mile away. I think we could, we could hear her car pulling in from, from maybe miles away. Or if she was making her way down the hallway, even tiptoeing, we were on to her, right? And so, as she, we heard her coming down the hallway, we would push stuff under the bed and stuff we weren't so, supposed to be playing with, or we would be, you know, roughhouse and we'd all of a sudden just start hugging or whatever, smiling at each other, and we thought we could fool her. Mom would walk in and we'd just be acting all innocent. But we realized very quickly that you can't fool mama. Children, you can fool your fathers. <laughs> They, they, I can catch my son's red hat and hand it and they'll be like, Daddy, I didn't do it. I'd be like, okay. But mothers, you have a sixth sense, don't you? You know. There's no lying to you. There's no fibbing to you, right? You, you're on to us. So, there's also no fooling God. I was just reading this morning in my devotion, no time before uh, church. I got up early this morning. I was in Psalms and I was... Uh, the, the psalmist was saying, Lord, why do the wicked think they're not going to give account for what they do? People who live very loosely in life just feel like, oh, you know, God's so nice. He's not, he's not going to say anything. He's not going to do anything. No, we're going to give a, an account for the way in which we live. Hebrews twelve fourteen, startling verse. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness... Okay? That holiness would include kind of right living, being set apart for God's purposes. Now watch this. Without which no one will see the Lord. Now this is an interesting verse because here's what we know, church. When we get saved, we get Christ's holiness. And we don't have to strive for it. So the writer of Hebrews is not talking about the holiness we get from God. He's saying strive now for peace and for the holiness which no one will see the Lord without. What's he talking about? 
Yes, we get the righteousness of Christ. Yes, we get the holiness of the Lord. But those who really receive that will have a change of life. And if there's no holy action in your life, if you're living the same way everybody else is living, what's that testify to? That you maybe don't really have that relationship with Jesus. He says if you don't have this type of holiness, you will not see the Lord. And you know me, I'm not a fire and brimstone preacher. But I want to just be very, very, very honest with you. There are expectations. We talk a lot about the grace of God. We love the grace of God. But that doesn't negate the fact, God's grace does not negate that we need to live holy lives. College students, I feel so bad, badly for you. Because it is, I cannot imagine, even high schoolers, even middle schoolers, have been in elementary school in a while, but they may be doing crazy things in elementary school now. I don't know. But, you know, on that college campus, I'm... It's got to be difficult not to go to the same parties they're going to. Not to do the same things that they're doing um, as far as promiscuity goes and all of those things. It's got to be difficult. So I would challenge you, though, stick together. Hold each other accountable. And adults, listen. Not that you college students aren't adults. Let me clarify. You're young adults. Adults, listen to me. Old people, listen to me. I don't think sometimes it's much easier for us. I remember the pressure I, I worked, uh, I shared this, I'm not going to go as far as I did a couple Wednesdays ago, but I worked corporate office at uh, Valvoline Nissan Oil Change in Lexington. I just remember the pressure to do the same things those people were doing. And listen, be very careful. We're not to go around judging the world for what they're doing. We're not to walk around with our noses in the air with, hey, we're better than you. We're not. But we're to live lives that are set apart. That's a great witness to who Jesus is. Jesus tells us that we're to live our lives in such a way that we let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify their God who is in heaven. But if they're seeing us live just like them, what are we showing them? They're not going to be compelled to glorify God. So we've got to have, as we wait on Jesus, we've got to make sure that we're waiting with evidence of godliness. And then number three... We're to wait while engaging in good works. We're to wait while engaging in good works. Look at verse 13. We're to waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for Himself a people, watch this, for His own possession, who are zealous for good works. Let me ask you, are you zealous for good works? As Bob said this morning, this doesn't just apply to worship. Christianity is not a spectator sport in general. This is, this is not a choice. Well, you know what, coach, I don't feel good today. I'm going to sit out on the sidelines. And that's what many church folks believe. We're talking about the church in this series. And a lot of people think that the pastoral team, that we are hosts... And you are guests, and you come in, and we entertain, we do the work, and then you go about your week and and do whatever. That's not biblical Christianity. That's not the New Testament church. As we looked at in Ephesians 4 last week, the New Testament church looks something like this. Yes, God gives us pastors and, and, and teachers and the fivefold ministry gift. Why? Not to do all the work, 
And I'm not trying to get out of anything here. Trust me, alright? I, I do my share, I promise you. But my job, and the job of our leadership team, is to equip you so you can do the work of the ministry. So you can do good works. And you and I ought to be... Listen, I shouldn't have to twist your arm to get involved in ministry. And I'm not just talking about ministry within these four walls. There ought to be ministry you're doing that I don't even know about. When you see somebody in the grocery store that, that looks like they may need their groceries paid for. And God has blessed you and you have a little extra. You don't have to announce it. As a matter of fact, you shouldn't announce it. Just say, I want you to know the Lord loves you. And I want to pay for your groceries. That's a good work. But then within the church, there are many areas that we need people. Uh, there's, there's holes within our ministries that people need to fill. We need every person that calls real life community church their home to serve in some capacity. And you ought to do so with passion and, and just a zealousness. Listen friends, it is a joy to serve. And if you're new to the faith, and you're new to our church, I want you to know something. You are not experiencing the fullness of what it means to be part of the church if you're not serving. If you're not giving of your time, talent, and treasure, you will feel a part of something probably like you've never felt before in a way in which you've never felt before. It's incredible. I mean, we're here. We're, we're making eternal differences in people's lives. And, you know, I, I'm thinking even right now, we, we see, we kind of have a hierarchy within our midst of ministry. Like, we, we put some ministries above the other. But I, I want you to know, God doesn't do that. Right now, here's what I'm mindful of. I'm so grateful for those who are listening by way in the nursery right now that are changing diapers and, 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 and watching our children, which gives us a really pleasant experience in here, able to focus on the Word and the singing and those types of things. And I want you to know those people when they're changing diapers right now are doing security to keep us safe in the foyer. Or the seniors or the or whoever it might be, the, the, the people che- teaching children's church downstairs. They're just as vital and important to ministry as I am. And you may say, well, Pastor, I don't have much to give. Listen, just give what you have. Give of your time, talent, and treasure and watch God multiply and use it. And it will be an incredible blessing for you. So we're to be zealous for good works. When the Lord returns, here's what I know from many places in the New Testament. He expects to find us busy. So many Christians treat Jesus like an accessory. Alright? In other words, you know what? He goes with my outfit today, so I'm just going to put Him on. He looks good on me on Sundays, but I'm just going to set Him aside. And You know, I've got this job, and I've got, and I've got these responsibilities. And listen... You don't have to quit your job. You don't have to, you know, just throw away your other responsibilities. But you glorify Jesus in those responsibilities. You become zealous for good works while you're at your secular job. I mean, we need anointed office people, media people, garbage men, politicians. Come on, somebody. (laughs) We need godly people in every capacity. In every area of employment, we need godly people who are zealous for good 
works. And, and I know this, when the Lord returns, He expects to find us busy. It used to be said that we're so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. That's certain. I don't know if that could ever be true. But that's certainly not the case now. It's actually reversed. You know what, what it is now? We're so earthly minded that we're no heavenly good. Church people today, especially in our area, are more concerned with the Second Amendment than they are about Jesus coming back again. I've seen more on Facebook about that in the last two weeks than nothing about Jesus might be coming back. I'm not saying, listen, because I know we have some people who like their Second Amendment right. I'm not, I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just saying, with or without the Second Amendment, Jesus is coming back. And I'm much more concerned with you being ready than what you're carrying underneath your belt. We've got to be more heavenly minded. What's the word say? Set your mind not on the things of this earth, but on the things above. Friends, we've got work to do. And you know what the enemy's done? The enemy's a deceiver. He's been deceiving since the beginning. He deceived uh, Adam and Eve. He's been doing it since the beginning. He's got us distracted on politics and on many other things that in the end won't amount to a hill of beans. And so we're not looking in the mirror going, oh, I, I need to be sanctified. I need to, I need to live righteously. I need to be zealous for good works. No, we're just concerned with the news and the propaganda that's being fed to us. And it's consuming us. And we're more interested than a Facebook wall than preparing our hearts for Jesus' return. So we need to, as we wait... Be zealous for good works. We need to be about kingdom business. Let other people worry about the the other stuff that's going on. We have a job to do. I mean, just read through the New Testament. And Rome was so oppressive. But I don't see Paul and and Peter and, and all the apostles in the early church just being enamored by politics. And picketing outside the White House. I just don't see that. Right? They're not begging the emperor for certain rights. No, the, the only time that they kind of got involved is when they were brought before the rulers and authorities and they say, don't preach or teach in the name of Jesus. That's where they draw the line. They say, well, we're not going to try to change the law, but we're just going to do it. We're just going, we can't help but preach and teach the things in which we know. We need to be about kingdom work. In closing... The American church is just way too caught up, as I said, in these worldly affairs. Let me ask you this. If you found out today that someone whom you just really um, hold in high regard, maybe it's an athlete or a politician or celebrity or an author or somebody, if you found out that person was going to be at your house tomorrow for dinner, how many of y'all would just go frantic for a little bit and just like run home as soon as this is over and scrub every inch of your house? Anybody do that? And, and how many would maybe, you don't have to raise your hand for this, but would you put a few things, maybe some movies you didn't want them to see, would you put them away? Would you tuck some things in the closet or put some things away that you maybe weren't so proud of? Or would you go find the finest food to cook the best meal that you could actually cook? What would you do? Friends, I have news for you. It could be today, it could be tomorrow that Jesus returns. 
And I know we've been saying this for years. And we're supposed to live every day like this. Don't grow numb to it. If you knew for a fact that He was to come back tomorrow, how would you respond? How would you respond? Listen, I remember... uh, I take pride in my work. And I've always wanted my employers to feel like I'm doing a good job, right? How many of you, if if you have like a secular job and you're, you're working away like the... The one minute out of the day you're goofing off. Have you ever had this happen? That's when your boss walks in. Yeah? Like, I mean, you're, you're just sweating and you're, you, you know, you're just working so hard and uh, just, I mean, just getting everything done and you just, you kick back just for a moment, put your feet up. One minute, 60 seconds is all it's going to be. And there he or she walks in. And you're busted. And you try to start, you're kind of stumbling over your words and like, listen, listen, I, I don't ever do this. I just was working. You go through a list of what you've done and accomplished. When I was in Greeley, Colorado, I've, I've shared this with you many times, but because of just some um, emotional health problems I was having, I was on six different medications. And if you've ever been on any of that stuff, it will mess you up. I'd just be talking to you and fall asleep while I'm talking to you. Like, I just never knew when this was going to happen. So I was an associate pastor in Greeley, Colorado. And... Uh, we just went back to visit just a few weeks ago and I stayed with a, a fellow associate pastor of mine. And he was saying, Chris, do you remember uh, what happened in your office right before you left? I said, what are you talking about? I said, I don't remember. He said, no, no, no. He said, listen to this. He said, we knew you were in your office and the secretary needed you. So we went to look and you weren't there anymore. I said, what do you mean I wasn't there? He said, yeah, we looked everywhere. We, could, we didn't see you. We, we had a little glass window in, in our office doors. He looked in. I wasn't in there. And they looked all over the church for me. A large church. They went to the prayer room, the study room. He checked the bathroom, even the ladies' room, just in case. Couldn't find me anywhere. Couldn't find me anywhere. Secretary said to Britain, she, she said, why don't you go out and check and see if his car's there? He goes, oh, my car's there. They come back in. She, he said, I'm worried. I, I bet he thought the rapture happened, right? Only Chris made it. But he, he's, he's looking in the window again. And, and the secretary said, go in there and just look around. And she, he said, the office is not that big. But after checking the premises one more time, he decides to go into my office. And I had, my chair was kind of pushed back and I had fallen out of my chair. And I was curled up under my desk like a cat. And I was just snoozing. And he said, he said, we had no idea you were at, there you were, snoozing underneath your desk. That desk, that was not the best moment of my employment. Thank Jesus my boss was not there that day. It was his day off. But you know, I don't, I don't ever want to be found. You know, if the board comes by the church or if you come by, I want you to find me busy and working and not messing around. Time is short and I believe we need to be diligent. And friends, Jesus is coming back. And I don't want Him to find me with my feet up, concerned about the things that everybody else is concerned about. I want Him to find me doing everything I can to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth, to reach everybody I, I can in my city, to give, I want Him find, um, to, to find me giving generously of my time, my talent, my treasure. I want Him to find me waiting in action.
me ask you as we close. Are you anticipating Jesus' return? I think one of the ways that the enemy deceives us is just he, he softly whispers to us at times, I think, that listen, you've got time. You've got time. You've got time. Are you ready? As you're waiting, are you anticipating His return? You should be. If you're not, you need to pray. Holy Spirit, make it real to me again today that He could come back at any moment. Don't let me be numb to that message. Number two, are you waiting with action? Are you waiting with action? Are you just sitting back twiddling your thumbs just waiting for Him to come? I hope that you're expressing gratitude as you're waiting. Do you praise Him for what He's done? Do you remember what He's done? And I hope that your life has evidences, many evidences of godliness. And if not, there needs to be some repentance today. Are you waiting with godliness? And number three, are you waiting with good works? If not, you need to find one of us after service and say, Hey, here's my gifts. Or maybe you don't even know what your gifts are yet. Help me find my gifts because I want to get busy. And we'll help you do that. It would be our privilege and honor. One of the marks of a real follower of Jesus is hopeful anticipation of His return. And friends, we need to live in light of His soon coming. He's coming again. Amen? Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.